we are the first group that has ever developed an electrochemical process to manipulate the ions in the seawater to CO2 gas. Our idea is to try to make it as economically viable, energy efficient, and modular in nature so that you have multiple ways that you could use the technology. Yeah. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we are talking about harvesting CO2 from the world's oceans and the potential to supply the world with unlimited fuel. It's a two-step process which could hold ramifications far beyond the application it was designed with in mind. First, let's talk about the great carbon sink that is the ocean. You probably don't hear a lot from climate hawks that most of the CO2 that's emitted, either naturally or from us, finds its way into the sea. In fact, only about 2% of the total CO2 could be found in the atmosphere. According to my guests, the oceans are 140 times more concentrated with CO2 than the atmosphere. For all the talk about taking carbon out of smokestacks or ambient air, much more attention should be placed on pulling it out of the sea. However, best I can tell, the only technology remotely addressing this is the technology my guest is developing, and it's really only a component of the underlying technology. Really? The first phase of this technology pulls out CO2 from seawater in the form of carbonate or bicarbonate. You may have heard of this is carbonic acid. So if you pull this out of the water, the water becomes less acidic, more basic, and the water will suck in more CO2 from the atmosphere. Nice, right? So one solution for carbon-minded individuals, aside from creating fuel, would be to pull CO2 out of the water and then sequester it deep within the earth. Mining CO2 from water requires a lot of the stuff. You have to run about 23,000 gallons of water to make a gallon of fuel. But if you did this with the air, you'd need to process 3.2 million gallons. The breakthrough came in the form of an electrolytic cation exchange module, basically a fuel cell, which breaks down the carbonates into CO2 and hydrogen, two for one. That brings us to phase two, creating fuel. CO2 and hydrogen pass over a catalyst to form carbon monoxide. From there, the gas is converted to fuel through a modified process that was first invented over 90 years ago by two guys, Hans and Franz. And I am Franz, and we, we just, just want, want to pop you off. <laughs> 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 Not that Hans and Franz, Fischer and Trope, which is a well-known process that is the backbone to all coal and gas-to-liquid technology we use today. The process has a few drawbacks. It takes energy to produce hydrogen in particular. Right now, the process uses a kilowatt hour of electricity to produce about 0.6 kilowatt hours of fuel. But renewable energy or even small modular nuclear reactors are being considered to power the process. And there's quite a value in stored fuel in the military. The fuel in question, our guest, focus on is JP-5, an almost universal fuel that can be used in everything from naval warships to jets. I feel the need, the need for speed. That's right. As we've discussed in some earlier episodes, logistically getting fuel or power to the field can be quite a challenge and can lead to some stressful situations. We gotta land this thing. We are way low on gas. You understand me? 
right, man. Our guest says they currently produce JP Vive for about $6 a gallon. And that's about what it costs the military to get it to the troops right now. Only this time they can produce it locally, whether it's on the coast, out in the deep ocean, in a peaceful spot, or in the danger zone. Our guest today is Dr. Heather Willauer, research chemist at the Naval Research Laboratory in Washington, D.C. Her ocean CO2 to fuel technology was first brought to my attention by Dr. Paul Jaffe, my space solar guest back in episode 50. Dr. Willauer and her team have been working on this process for a few years now. They are currently up to their fifth generation ECAM unit, which is located down in Key West, Florida. I caught up with her after my interview with Dr. Jaffe, and she and her assistants were kind enough to give me a tour around the lab, which I'll share online. Afterwards, we sat down for a pretty freewheeling interview, and at one point, I just threw away the questions. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Heather Willauer. Okay, we're here with Dr. <laughs> Heather Willauer with the Naval Research Laboratory. And Heather, I've heard CO2 capture from gas, such as power plant exhaust, but not from water. What led you to this idea, carbon capture from the ocean? Yes. Well, the world's oceans contain more than 38,000 gigatons of carbon that is primarily in the form of carbon dioxide bound as bicarbonate. And the Navy operates at sea and in littoral environments. And so logistically, it could prove very advantageous to utilize this carbon source to make fuel when and where you need it. Absolutely. Now, there's always a magic box, as I always like to say it. What I mean by that is the core technology mm -hmm. you're dealing with. In this case, it's a catalyst. Now, how much tweaking did you do with the existing catalyst out there to get what you have right now? Because it's unique, correct? It is unique, and the application is unique, right? NRL's target was to develop these type of catalysts and look what's out there in the literature and build upon that to make selective catalysts for taking CO2 to intermediates, such mm -hmm. as olefins or carbon monoxide or methanol even, that are proven chemicals that you can take to the next level to make an operational fuel. In specifically in a fixed bed type of reactor system that is scalable. Okay, how did this start up? Did you already have the idea or was there a directive to try to pull fuel out of seawater? Well, so we do basic research here and I, you know, to be honest with you, I was not the originator of this program. Mm -hmm. It started with a former employee and a former director of research here that was looking into how do we make fuel and fuel's always been an issue for DOD mm -hmm. and the Navy as well. Yeah, it was kind of an idea born here, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, out of need and necessity. It seems to me your mm. technology has kind of two phases. One is pulling the CO2 out of the water, and the second would be you're mixing it to make the fuel. We'll call the CO2 from the mm -hmm. ocean phase one. Is that new, taking CO2 new. out of water? Yes, right? It is a new technology because they usually use a means to take it out of mm -hmm. the air or some basic solution that you want to run it through. We are the first group that has ever developed an electrochemical process and patented it to essentially use electricity to make 
manipulate the ions in the seawater to convert all the CO2 that's bound as mm -hmm. bicarbonate in the seawater, turn it into carbonic acid, and then we're able to pull that out as the CO2 gas. I think a lot of people, when we were talking about climate change, we're talking about CO2, and we used to talk about the ocean being right. a sink, I think the idea is that yes. CO2 is absorbed into the ocean, mm -hmm. and I was always told at that point it's carbonic acid. Is that mm -hmm. correct? So it's absorbed, and it reacts with mm -hmm. mole of water to produce, I think it's a mole, <laughs> I can't remember yeah. the time I had, to form carbonic acid. And that carbonic acid is in equilibrium with carbonate and bicarbonate to form that buffer solution gotcha. that buffers that whole entire seawater situation. And so it goes back and forth all to maintain pH. Gotcha. Is okay. what it does. So it's not carbonic acid when you pick it out of the water? It's bicarbonate and carbonate, and we turn it all to carbonic acid. I got you. Okay. And there also is carbonic acid in the water. Yes. Natural. And usually that's only about 3%. It's okay. only dissolved. It's about 3% that sits on top that's moving around. And we're going after the 97% that's bicarbonate. 3% of the... Of the CO2 in seawater exists as carbonic acid. Gotcha. Okay. I think some people are curious how much PPM, if you will, of oh, the ocean... 100 milligrams per liter. Okay. So not very much. Not very much, <laughs> no. right? But imagine that it buffers the entire ocean. That's huge. And maintains that pH. And then the other thing is that you're synthesizing a hydrocarbon in a separate catalyst mm -hmm. system. Also your design? Yes, looking at different catalyst systems and different expertise, specifically things that have been done with Fisher Tropes, and how do we build on that and make them selective for converting CO2 in an intermediate that's usable, such as methanol, CO, or you can turn it into methane, but that, that's yeah. more difficult. <laughs> I mean, if you want to make a liquid fuel, go into CO, and then CO and hydrogen are used in the Fisher Tropes process to go to a jet fuel fraction. Where are you getting the hydrogen from? So that's the big energy question, right, yeah. is you have to get it from water. Yeah. So you'd also be doing electrolysis. electrolysis. So yeah. our electrochemical process to capture CO2 from the seawater also produces the hydrogen. Okay, so you're getting the hydrogen as well and you're breaking, so it's a pulling two out for the CO2. one. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so you got the CO2, you got the hydrogen, hydrogen and we're ready to go. You got the building blocks for fuel. Mm -hmm, yep. All right. The biggest question <laughs> is how much energy is involved in both the capture of the CO2 and then the phase of two, the synthesizing of the gas. Capturing the CO2 is not, the, it's really producing the hydrogen. So mm -hmm. what we're doing is Faraday's law, that's where all the energy is, is to get the hydrogen. And we've developed this electrochemical technology that will simultaneously pull the CO2 out. All of our energy is going to producing hydrogen in this system at our cathode. And at the same time, we're getting CO2. So we're getting two for one feedstock. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seawater is extremely corrosive. It's mm -hmm. pretty much got everything in it. In it, right. <laughs> do you have to do anything to pre-treat raw ocean water? Just as long as you get all the settables out, right? Okay. The sand and anything like that, you've got to get it out. The suspended yeah, solids. Yeah, suspended solids. Okay. And we've had this system down at our Key West facility, and we usually get in trouble when <laughs> it starts pulling it off the bottom, right? And then the storm blows in. But it's made with COTS, commercial off-the-shelf materials, and and that have all been used in brackish type environments in seawater. So this holds up pretty well. Okay. I had a little bit of a background in water treatment while I was doing fracking. Right. And sometimes you'd go all the way to like reverse osmosis. Right. Is it RO or is it nano filtration? Can it, it just is, be a coffee filter? Membrane, I mean, just use a simple filter. 20, right. 30 micron filter. Okay. It, that's that, not too bad. Not. You don't want big, what is the otter eat? Oh, uh, krill? You don't know where those big things he rolls himself in. You don't want any of that going through your system. But no, you know, no, you deep don't. Deep seawater. Now, 
when I first heard about this technology, I remember that I was told about the ocean acting as this huge carbon dioxide vacuum or sink for the planet. It's far more efficient than what you hear about capturing CO2 from ambient air. So it's a lot easier to capture the CO2 from water than it would be sure. to capture it from the air than it would be. Because you said that CO2 in the water is 100 ppm, and we talk about CO2 in the air being 450 or 400, whatever well, it is now. But on a volume basis. So yeah. on a weight per volume basis, it's 100 milligrams per liter versus like 0.7 in the air. Yes. Yeah. And so your technology will be smaller and less water you're going to have to move than you will air. So less energy to move that. It's 140 times more concentrated in seawater. Yeah. It is an air. Do you think this would have any terrestrial uses? I was executive director of a carbon capture association. Do you think that this fits in somewhere with possibly doing carbon capture from flue gas? If you were to dunk the gas into water and then maybe use that as an extraction? Correct. We've primarily focused on the Navy need, right? Yeah. To, and to be honest, it's slow going, right? When sure. you're trying to develop these technologies parallel and then you want to put them together and integrate them. So tackling that with our size group, that's been one the back burner but with how this system runs and what we're producing at the end you could think about blowing your stack gases through there our system allows us to recycle water too it is potential and we have a patent disclosure that we've put out for that so you are tracking yeah. down using tracking for... down yeah how do you make it more cyclical for a system yeah so, so it'd be a great idea for possibly a post-combustion uh, right carbon capture Correct. there. Correct. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah, you just need some hydrogen to make some fuel. <laughs> <laughs> this technology was designed for ships at sea, essentially make their own fuel. We're not at a DOE facility. We're the military here. <laughs> Tell us why that's so important, have fuel yeah. for the DOD. Logistically, if you can have fuel when and where you need it, it gives that warfighter the capabilities to win a fight. They don't have to go back, go get fuel, and then come back on station. It will allow them to maintain their focus on what the mission is. Absolutely. So the idea is that you would have a... We developed the technology and it would really be up to the Navy how yeah. they would implement it. Our idea here at the lab is to try to make it as economically viable, economically efficient, and energy efficient, and modular in nature so that you have multiple ways that you could use the technology. Yeah. And, and even though we're saying Naval Research uh -huh. Lab, one of the videos that I saw, you were powering an airplane. Yeah. Right? A long time ago. So... Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a long time ago. <laughs> but it would be jet fuel. Is it JP? JP5, JP5 because yeah. every naval platform is certified to operate on JP5. Okay, so even, that even the be, destroyer ships, yeah, the amphibious ships, all that it. stuff. Everything except for aircraft carriers and submarines, which are right. rakes. Right? right. Even the diesel can operate on the JP5. Do you think that you would have a system that would be efficient enough to power a ship where it would have its own generating station on board? It would have to have the power supply probably and use that power supply for moving it is what I would imagine and then also making the fuel. What do you like the best if you're the admiral? <laughs> I'm the admiral. Oh, I don't think I can answer that, can I? But you know, what do you see it being the low-hanging fruit? You're setting up a unit like this on a coastline. You on could, your, absolutely. And, and you're powering the airplanes and the stuff that's on Because you're land. never going to fly a plane on hydrogen. You're never going to fly it on natural gas. You're, you always going to be wait, wait, didn't Kanye he show, he had a hydrogen <laughs> plane or something oh, like no. that? <laughs> we'll be using JP5. Right. Yeah. So to answer the question without answering the question, 
more and more technology and even DOE is starting to look at these small lightweight light water reactors. Yeah. They're modular in nature and then how would you think about deploying some of those and yeah. potentially. I know the Russians are looking at putting that for drilling in the north in the sea. In the Arctic. In the Arctic, yeah. right? I mean, heck you just throw your little line out there and start a whole city. I mean <laughs> That's right. You really really could get to that, huh? Oh I think that's where people want to get to, yeah. To try to keep up with technology, yeah. Oh, and yeah. so let's talk about the domestic use. I mean, do you see coastal municipalities, islands? You know, that's one of the things that I'm a real islands, big fan right. of. Is we think of the third Correct. world as just being in the heart of Africa, mm-hmm. but we're also talking about islands where these right. people have to run on conventional diesel, diesel fuel. And you got to get it out there, and that costs a lot of money to get it out there. You and, see it kind of having right. a use there, right? You could, and you have those new wave generators, too, to make power for different things, right? That's right. Windmills. Windmills everywhere. So it's interesting. Yes, yeah. power some of these islands with their own. I mean, how do you regulate that? I don't know. Sure. Now, I can see where people are kind of going, okay, if, <laughs> if you could just find an endless amount of energy. energy from putting a straw in the ocean. Well, you've heard of, <laughs> what is it, OTEC, Ocean Thermal Energy Conversion? Yeah. Do you think you can get it cost-effective enough where all the energy you'd ever want and need, you could just pull? you got to have an energy source, and then fuel's got to go way up and not be available. What kind of energy source would you conventionally use? Use any electric <laughs> energy source. Oh, yeah, because okay. it's a way to take electricity and store it as a liquid fuel, right? Right. So let's right. not forget that we would need some sort of form of electricity to run the catalytic. Oh, what, Is that and, right? And one, it's, it's more exothermic, and then one's a little more endothermic, but the issue is really getting the hydrogen. That's where the bugaboo is. All the electrolysis of water and producing hydrogen takes the energy. Where are you guys right now? What's ah, left to re- So what's left to do it? Yeah. They're going in parallel. You got yeah. your carbon capture, and you got your fuel synthesis. We're scaling them up individually and starting to show that we can make fuel. And then once it's in an integrated box, how is that going to work? How many <laughs> carbon captures do I need? How yeah. many? fuel pieces do I need? Right, because you basically have a phase one and a phase, phase two, two. They have to kind of sync kind up. Kind of go up, yeah. yeah. You showed me on your computer, you had a demonstration. Where was that? That was at Oxion Energy. Where is that? They are in Utah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have been funded in the past to develop these modular type technologies for fisher tropes. So mm-hmm. you have the stranded natural gas. And how do you go out and take that stranded natural gas and turn it into fuel? Because it's not very politically correct to just off it, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's it. not. <laughs> right. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel here, how do we get our stuff to work in someone else's system? Yeah. I'm a real big fan of that because we had people up in the Bakken doing the fracking and the gas got flared off. It just never... Yeah, and I'm like, well, that, that's gas that could be used well, in a home or something. <laughs> not good for the climate change. Yeah, you want to try to do something with that. And I, with the climate change discussion, I've always said, you're either chicken little, like the sky is falling, or you're an ostrich not believing it at all. I think people are somewhere in between there on a spectrum as far as that concerns. So I try to eschew that uh, that discussion. But yeah, I think absolutely. the bigger discussion is I don't want to see waste. I want to see something being used for something. Absolutely. Rather than it just going up in the sky. That's correct. Considering we're supposed to be reducing fossil, you know, that sure. those are going away. Yeah. So it would be nice <laughs> to and, and look, use I mean, it more efficient. Right. I think if you can do something with CO2 that's being sunk right. into the ocean. Can you use it as a carbon source specifically for the Navy. Yeah, yeah it's carbon capture utilization, right. right? Right. Anybody else interested in what you're working on besides silly podcasters like me? <laughs> 
people, we appreciate it. No people have. Any industry in types. Industry. Yeah. And we're to the point, I don't know if you've ever heard of the valley of death, where things get so far, uh-huh. and industry's not ready to pick that up yet and take that risk until we get a little further. Any utilities? <laughs> not so much. What about the like oil and gas Yeah, they've guys. reached out, but again, fuel's cheap now. That's right. A one-time assay, oil and gas guy. Are people more innovative when things are expensive or when things are cheap and they can maybe take some risks? But mm, They jump when it's $3.10 a gallon or $3.25 and it's going up and... Mm-hmm. Now the Navy's like, well, everybody's like, okay, it's down to a reasonable price, we're good. But I just finished talking to an LNG guy and he was like, we're shipping all this gas overseas to Asia. Can you be shown interest from international Oh yeah, companies? oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, no, we have one group of folks that's not getting into an NDA with to look at islands specifically to put this type of technology. But again, that's gonna be when the price is really, really high. The availability what, is quite low. Is there a price point that you feel like there needs needs to be? Six, seven, eight dollars a gallon. I mean, for the Navy, it's a little bit different than it is for commercial use. Mm-hmm. Right. My understanding is JP5, the transport and all that sort of thing can be upwards of... Right. Six, seven dollars a gallon. Yep. Yeah. Get it out where it needs to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the air transfer that can be more. So, in summary, the next steps for you guys, how soon do you think you'll be ready to have it where you want it for demonstration out in the field, out That's, in the turf? We've got our system down at Key West in the marine environment where we get natural seawater and we've got our prototype electrochemical cell there that will produce more than enough feedstock to make a gallon of fuel a day mm-hmm. and we're working on the other two parts to integrate and put it together and demonstrate a gallon of fuel a day but there's always roadblocks and issues issues with hydrogen capture issues with things that's not our expertise that takes a little time to work around in a real world practical environment how many gallons a day do you think hundreds of thousands again. hundreds of thousands oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> We've worked with industry to even get a fuel ship design. Our stuff has been put on different platforms in terms by modeling. So we think it would be a ship unto itself. Could be. It's a tanker ship. Somebody's done that with it. Rather than Mm -hmm. adding that piece of equipment onto an existing... You could do that too. You're just open to everything. I'm open to everything. Can't tell them what to do with it. That's right. (laughs) Well, well, I think that's probably a good thing to keep. Heather, I guess what we'll do is we will finish with your thoughts on different energy technologies. I'm really excited about this. So the first one is natural gas. You can do many things with natural gas. You can make liquid fuel, electricity, and then it's supposed to be quite abundant, but you don't want to run out. Yeah, crude oil. Cars, ships, transportation fuel. Nuclear. I think nuclear. It gets a bad rap. Coal. That's not my favorite. What do you think of your technology? Carbon capture from the ocean. Transportation fuel. (laughs) (laughs) Wind. Electricity. And if we could store it, right? Right. You, You could do other things. Solar similar. Yeah, electricity or the Germans are using the solar or the wind to make hydrogen and mm-hmm. hydrogen to make fuel. They're efficient much. Biofuels. <laughs> what kind of biofuels? Okay. Biofuels are good. As long as you don't compete with eating, right? Right. Hydroelectric. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Should have more of that. That's pretty good to use the water. Yes, that's good stuff. Geothermal. Oh, that's pretty good too. I like yeah, that. I wish they would use yeah, more yeah, of that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Energy storage and not just batteries. We need it. That's why it's kind of nice to take electricity and store it as a liquid fuel. Electric vehicles. Yeah, they're okay. Except for, I know somebody that owns one and yeah, I couldn't do it. I think they call that the range anxiety. I could, right. Yeah. He doesn't drive it very far. Is he scared? Well, because you flip on the air conditioner and that range you you've calculated is Is he around here? Is in D.C. where he's having getting stuck in traffic is where he's going to get stuck. Well, at Fredericksburg and I think he drove it up here and then he was like, I'm never doing 
that again because you have to map out where all the stations, the stations are, right? are, right? And then he's like, oh man, I turned on the air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> so just sweat it out. I was like, you're a better man than I am. I don't have time to map that out. Well, they always say the I ones mean, who would do the mapping out. It's yeah, just kind of the trade-off. Hilarious. Do I was like, like oh, that's too much. <laughs> Energy efficiency. Oh, I could go bad on that too. Well, let's hear it. I think we've gone too far with replacing stuff with that, right? <laughs> so if it's usable and it works, like people will replace their windows, right? With the more efficient ones. And it's like, how much did that cost? And we're getting these washing machines that are more energy efficient and then they break. Filling up the landfills and it's like... Yeah, it's kind of like wrapping your kid in bubble wrap sometimes. It's just... Silly. <laughs> and then finally, nuclear fusion. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great, right? Wouldn't it be great? Who's going to be up and running? You guys are the nuclear fusion guys. Us. <laughs> Us. All right. Heather Willauer with <laughs> Naval Research Laboratory. <laughs> it's really been fun. Thank you so much well, for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was Dr. Heather Willauer, research chemist at the Naval Research Laboratory and lead on their ocean CO2 to fuel technology. I want to thank Heather for her time, as well as Dr. James Morse from her team for showing me around the lab. And I want to thank Daniel Perry in the communications department for setting this and my three other interviews up at the lab. You can find plenty of pictures online, including one of Dr. Willauer's presentations at energy-cast.com and on Instagram at hostenergy. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 54. Be sure to join us next week when we meet a special guest who's found a way forward with carbon capture and has played a huge part in this program. You won't want to miss it. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.